Hello, happy Wednesday. It's Jess and I hope everyone's doing so well. And today we're going to be talking about the window of tolerance, which is a concept taken from psychiatry. And a lot of therapists will bring this in to help clients to understand their own unique emotional capacity for dealing with stresses in life and to help clients feel more able to regulate their emotions. And this concept is quite a visual one, so I'm going to try and explain it even though you're listening. So if you imagine a square split into three sections with horizontal lines, kind of like the Hungarian flag, and obviously I had to Google that because I couldn't think of which one was horizontal. (laughs) And the middle section is our window of tolerance. And this window represents us when we're in a relatively calm, grounded emotional state. So we might experience challenges and feel difficult emotions, but we're able to identify, process and move through them without becoming overly distressed, which is what we mean when we talk about being able to regulate our emotions. And here within the window of tolerance, you're adaptable, you're present, you're able to engage with the world, to think, to learn. And this is our optimal state where ideally we want to stay as best we can. But when things get too much, we'll be pushed out of this window of tolerance, either into the space above or below that window. And this could be from one big life event like a breakup or a job loss or a death. But it can also be from compounding smaller events. So maybe you've woken up late that morning, you've got a stressful text on your phone, you get into work, your boss wants to speak to you, somebody's atting you about something else. And just throughout the day, it builds and builds and builds until you're pushed out of that window. So when we hear things like, this is actually sending me or I'm on the edge, or this is actually going to tip me over the edge. What we're really expressing is I've reached my capacity for what feels tolerable for me right now. And I'm now entering one of the other two states. So the first one, which in the visual sits above the window of tolerance, is a state of hyper arousal. And this is our mobilization state, our fight or flight response. This is where our minds and our bodies are readying us to deal with something. So we might feel extremely anxious, angry, overwhelmed, hypervigilant. We might have physical sensations like body tension or butterflies in our stomach. Different hormones and chemicals will start to increase and surge through our bodies like cortisol and adrenaline. It also might be more difficult to think clearly when we're in this state. And that's our sympathetic nervous system taking over. But then equally, when pushed out of our window of tolerance, we also might experience the opposite of this, something called hypoarousal, which is the demobilization or freeze state. And in the image, this sits below the window of tolerance. And I think that freeze gets a lot less airtime than fight and flight. I don't know why, maybe fight and flight are more common, but just like animals would fight or run away when exposed to a threat, equally there would be circumstances where the safest, most effective response is actually to almost play dead. And so this hypoarousal state, which is our parasympathetic nervous system coming online, can look like emotional numbness, dissociation, not really feeling present, low energy, low mood, becoming withdrawn. And I think something else that we see now more in modern times is also this like losing time, endlessly scrolling, um, which is ultimately enabling us to detach. So not only is it about that old part of your brain thinking that it will help if you play dead, the hypoarousal state also enables us to emotionally detach from threats. 
And I'm going to talk a bit more about fight, flight and freeze another time. But just briefly, these are threat responses which date so far back to when we'd have been fighting off like saber-toothed tigers. And I'm sure that probably worked really well back then because it almost would have closed that stress cycle. So if you're being chased by a saber-toothed tiger and you run away and you outrun it, great, sorted, the stress is over. Or if you manage to fight it off, again, you won, congrats, you're safe, (laughs) it's all fine. Um, Or if you played dead and then it left you alone, again, done, lovely job. Or I guess the other option is that it caught you and it ate you, but then I guess the stress cycle is still closed because you wouldn't be here to feel it anymore. But now we have much more modern brains and the ability to think, overthink, reflect, analyse, imagine future outcomes. So the threats are often in our own minds and the fight, flight and freeze responses are kind of less helpful and can actually almost cause us more stress because we're stressed or we're panicked about why we're feeling kind of out of it and not present or maybe we're criticising ourselves for feeling anxious and it can be harder then to close that stress cycle. So we have these three states, the window of tolerance and above and below that hyperarousal state and the hypoarousal states. And there's different reasons why we might go into one rather than the other when we're feeling overly stressed. So it could feel safer or more appropriate given the environment that you're in. Something else is that you also might have grown up to understand that feeling and expressing emotions doesn't really get your needs met. So you might internalize them and switch off from them rather than feel them or express them. Something kind of similar to what we talked about last week, maybe emotions aren't deemed as acceptable in the environment that you've grown up in. So instead you'll internalize them rather than express them or feel them as well. There can be different reasons why at any given point we could go into one rather than the other. And everyone's window will be a different size. So some will be really narrow, meaning that their capacity is quite limited and it doesn't really take a lot for things to become too much and for them to be pushed outside of that window. Like, for example, some people who experience post-traumatic stress may have a narrowed window because they've been so exposed to really high levels of stress and remain alert to anything which might resemble that trauma. So things like flashbacks and dreams can be easily triggered so the threat kind of hangs around and they can often relive it quite regularly, which takes up a lot of that emotional capacity. But actually people who have faced trauma or challenging times and process that often have an increased capacity to deal with stress. So their window actually widens and they can tolerate a lot of stress without entering into either of those two states. So kind of like that idea of you grow through what you go through. And that's the amazing thing, that we can actually increase our window of tolerance, which means we can spend way less of our lives in those two states of hyper or hypoarousal. So we have a much bigger emotional capacity. And one thing that can help us to start to widen that window is general self-care and stress management. So there are different forms of self-care, but just to name a few, we have physical self-care, which can be things like sleeping enough, exercising, eating enough social self-care which can be staying connected with others sharing with others when we need to professional self-care can be setting boundaries not taking on too much work or speaking up if too much work is being put on us psychological self-care can be balancing any negative or distressing thoughts with ways like cbt techniques like thought challenging emotional self-care could be journaling therapy again talking to somebody who you trust about how you're feeling anything which helps us to reflect with how we're feeling 
We also have spiritual self-care, which could be connecting with God or gods if you belong to a faith, spending time in prayer or even spending time in nature can be a form of spiritual self-care as well. But the important thing about self-care is that it starts with self-awareness. So being able to connect with and reflect on where you're at, how you feel and what you need at a particular point, because that means that you can do self-care practices which really, really benefit you rather than just doing something that it seems people do for self-care and just trying that out. I mean, that can be helpful, but it's definitely a lot more effective if you can connect with what you specifically need at any given point. So if what would actually really help you is just to spend some time with some friends and be heard, but actually you're making yourself go to the gym by yourself, that might still be helpful, but maybe not quite as helpful as being around people. Also awareness of any triggers that we might have, which tend to push us outside of that window and thinking about how we can mitigate or overcome or even prepare for those triggers if they're things that we maybe can't get out of. Also, if we go with this idea that we grow through what we go through, it can actually be beneficial to incrementally do things that push us outside of our comfort zone. So because we'll all have a different window of tolerance, because we're all different people with different life experiences and different personalities, for one person that could be something that looks quite big. So climbing a mountain or doing a skydive. And then for somebody else, it might be something which maybe seems smaller, but is still really significant. So something like challenging certain safety behaviours that we might have, like... An example might be not having five wheeze before you go out and realising that actually you were okay. You didn't end up needing the toilet or if you did, you found a loo and it was okay. Whatever your own parameters are, just trying out tiny incremental ways of extending that window of stress that you can tolerate. But there are also people who might almost live in those two other states. So might spend a lot of time feeling highly anxious or disconnected And that might be because of the external environment that they're in or because of deeper emotional issues or maybe even trauma. So that capacity is constantly overloaded. And if that's the case, I think it's really helpful to find a trusting space to start to unpack and explore some of that. So it could be therapy or it could be with friends or family. And in therapy, we also use this model to understand where a client is at emotionally in the sessions. So it's not really helpful to just push somebody out of that window of tolerance and have them feeling overly distressed. And if we do leave that window, we have ways where we can bring ourselves back into that. So that could be grounding techniques, which may or may not be pre-agreed between the therapist and the client. So what's going to be most grounding for the client? It could be breath work, it could be physical activity. But I think something that's really helpful as well is just self-acceptance. So like we mentioned earlier, if we're feeling anxious or feeling disconnected, it can bring about panic, self-criticism, judgment, more stress. And actually just recognising how you're feeling and accepting that and slowing things down can really help us to come back into that window a lot more easily. So I really hope that today has offered something useful for you. Feel free to leave me a review or come over and join me on Instagram at In Therapy with Jess. This podcast is psychoeducational but isn't intended to replace formal therapy. But thank you guys for joining and I will see you very soon.